Uh, it's good to see you here at Daily Power Parsha on this Monday, September 13th, 2021. Um, so this week, we begin a brand new Torah portion called Ha'azinu. And Ha'azinu is the song. Remember last week? God told Moses, Moses told the people, I'm going to tell you a song, right? Sing me a song. You're the Moses man. This is it. This is no one said no one ever, but this is the song. This is the, um, the big covenantal song that Moses composes, teaches to the Jewish people. And many people memorize the Torah portion. It's a short one. A um, lot of history and mystery and deeper significance in all these verses. So we'll do it together. Since today is Monday, we're going to do the first and the second readings. So we have this week, we have Monday and Tuesday and Friday. We're not going to meet Wednesday or Thursday. We have Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. So we'll do, let's say we'll do one and two today. We'll do three and four tomorrow. And we'll do, let's say, five, six, seven on Friday. That's the game plan. Okay, let's jump in. Hey, Sandrine, welcome. Great to see you. All right. Without further ado, Deuteronomy chapter 32 Verse number one. Chapter 32, of course. I think I mentioned this last night. Lamed Bet, Lev, the heart. The heart of Deuteronomy is right here. Um, listen, O heavens, says Moses. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. So he essentially says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. I'm, again, that's not the translation that we have here, but... If we were to kind of, you know, make it uh, symmetrical, it would be listen heavens and hear earth. Okay. Two different expressions of listening and hearing, right? There's listen and there's hear. In the Hebrew, ha'azinu, the name of the portion is ha'azinu. Ha'azinu is translated here as listen. So ha'azinu and tishma. Like the word shema, right? See that word shema? Vatishma means and let the let let it hear what ha'ar is the earth. Sometimes you have the the verb before before the noun before the subject. Okay, so we have two different expressions. And it's interesting that the commentators explain that ha'zinu is a, a word that's used in reference, like that word listen in Hebrew is used in reference to something that's close to you. And tishma, this word, is something that's far away from you. In other words, he's speaking, Moses speaking to the heavens and the earth. He says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. And the commentaries explain that Moses said a closer version of the word listen or hear to the heavens and a more distant version to the earth, which means that he was closer to heaven than to earth, again, on a spiritual level. He was closer to heaven than earth. So he says, imagine if you're in a room and there's people next to you. And so you say, guys, listen to what I'm about to say. And then you say to the, um, the people at the end of the room, guys, can you hear me? Right? So you listen is to the close and hear is to the far. I don't know if it works in English, but in the Hebrew, hazinu is for the close and tishma is for the distant. And our sages tell us that Moses was closer to heaven than earth on the last day of his life. See, typically, the soul is very much here, in the body, on earth, in a physical environment. First of all, a tzaddik, a righteous person anyway, is a little bit more, you know, spiritual than, than physical. But also, in the last day of his life, Moses was closer to heaven than earth. And this is a powerful message here in this opening, powerful allusion or hint in this opening verse about where Moses was kind of in the spectrum of existence. He was maybe already with one foot out, so to speak. He was a little closer to heaven than earth, although he was speaking in a very earthly manner to human beings, to fellow human beings. Nonetheless, he was in a bit of a different space. So here's what, and, and, he's, and, and with this, he calls upon heaven and earth to be witnesses for what he's about to say. Here we go. Let's continue. Very poetic language. My lesson will drip like rain. My word will flow like dew, like storm winds on vegetation, 
and like raindrops on grass. Okay. Poetic way of saying that he's about to speak and share wisdom. His teachings are going to drip like rain, word is going to flow like dew, etc. Okay, so he gives these poetic, phrase, po- poetic phrases. Verse 3. When I call out the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The deeds of the mighty rock are perfect. God is sometimes euphemistically referred to as rock. Hatsur. Right? Like a stone. Like a rock is God referred to. Why a rock? So, there's different understandings of this. One understanding is that just like a rock, a mountain, a big rock is very strong. And I don't know if we can say it eternal, but it definitely lasts longer than some other things that, you know, are born and die or grow and wither. A rock stays around for a little while. So too, we refer to God as the eternal God, you know, the eternal, the eternal rock sometimes in, in, in our prayers. So we have this here. The deeds of the mighty rock are perfect. For all, and it's referring to God, for all his ways are just. A faithful God without injustice, he is righteous and upright. So the first thing Moses establishes, Moses establishes is that God is, God is perfect, God is trustworthy, God is filled with justice and righteousness. Destruction is not his. It is his children's defect, you crooked and twisted generation. Okay, basically what he's saying is, if anything goes sideways, it's not God, it's us. That's going to be the overarching theme in this, in this, uh, in this reading, in, in this song. That the negative, the negativity that befalls us is really all created from our pu- pulling away or turning away or sort of, you know, misdirecting our energy away from where, from uh, out of alignment. Number six. Is this how you repay the Lord, you disgraceful, unwise people? Is he not your father, your master? Has he not, sorry, he has made you and established you. Okay. So very strong language, right, right out of the bat. And, and I always, you know, I, this is my standard caveat. You have to be careful. What we're reading here is a translation in the Hebrew. As Moses is speaking to the people, I'm sure they weren't getting yelled at. This is more of an expression of, yeah, there is, there's a little bit of, 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 of edginess to this, but the point is, he's saying, that turning away from God is acting in an unwise way. It's acting in a way that is um, less than grateful, right? Disgraceful, unwise, disgraceful, uh, okay. It's, there's a lack of gratitude if we turn away from God, considering all that God has done and does for us. That's Moses the, is showing tough love. This is tough love. And if you see these Rashis, there's a lot of commentary here. The whole thing is full of commentary. Because the more, the less literal something is, the more poetic something is, the more commentary kicks in. All right, let's start from the beginning. Let's do some commentary. Because it's really important to understand what's going on here. Moses says, listen, O heavens, what, what are the heavens supposed to listen to? Moses, so Rashi explains, Listen, O heavens, that I am warning Israel. In other words, I want you heavens to listen that I'm warning Israel. And you shall be witnesses in this matter. For I have already told Israel that you will be witnesses. That was last week's Torah portion. And so is the clause, and let the, and let the earth hear, to be similarly understood. Now, why did Moses call upon heaven and earth to be witnesses for warning Israel? Again, what's the warning? The warning is, if you do the right thing, it's going to be good. If not, it's not going to be good. So why do heaven and earth need to be schlepped in, to, need to be brought in as witnesses? I've already explained this, but here we have it in Rashi, black and white. Moses said, I am just flesh and blood. Tomorrow I will die. Um, actually, maybe even today, right? That was the last day of his life. If Israel says, we, will, we never accepted the covenant, who will come and refute them? Right? Imagine the Jewish people say, we never accepted the covenant. So who's going to say, no, you actually did? So therefore he called upon heaven and earth as witnesses for Israel, witnesses that endure forever. Heaven and earth are larger than, 
than, uh, than, than any individual human being or creation on this earth, and thus they are at least more eternal than human beings. Furthermore, if they, Israel, act meritoriously, the witnesses will come and reward them. The vine will give its fruit, the earth will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. So basically, these are good witnesses because, number one, they're going to be around for a while for the duration of history. And number two, the witnesses themselves can reward and punish. How, does the wit how do the witnesses reward? Well, it's heaven and earth. So the earth can give its food, and the earth can give its rain and its due. And what about the opposite if things go sideways? And if Israel acts sinfully, the hand of the witnesses will be upon them first, which is a, um, a quote from, the, from Scripture. It says, in a case of capital punishment, the hand of the witnesses should be upon them first. So, and what does that mean in this case? And, uh, case, and he will close the off the heaven, that there will be no rain, and the soul will not give its produce. So the, the witnesses of heaven and earth are not only because they're everlasting, it's also because they have the ability to either bless or withhold the blessings. Let's continue in the Rashi. Um, mm, 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 mm. This is metaphorically still, Rabbi? Which part? All that the giving kind of power... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not, it's not like the earth and the heavens themselves are going to decide what happens. But basically, it's all God, right? It's, we don't believe in the earth having powers that are distinct from God. That's a very important um, truth about monotheism, Jewish monotheism at least, is it's all God and the earth is a tool and the sun is a tool and the planets are a tool. They're all like a hammer in the hand of the, the craftsperson. So that's the, the thing. So what we're saying here, though, is that Moses, yeah, he's calling upon heaven and earth as witnesses, not that they have, you know, consciousness necessarily, but like, in this poetic, dramatic display, heaven and earth are, set, are, are being called upon to, 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 to be witnesses that, yes, they agreed to this covenant. And down the line, if it works out, then these entities will provide. And if it doesn't work out, they're not going to provide. Doesn't mean that they're in control. No, they're not in control. God's in control, but it's going to flow through them, etc. Um, okay, my lesson will drip like rain. Rashi says, this is the testimony that you shall testify that in your presence I declare the Torah which I gave to Israel, which provides life to the world, is just like this rain which provides life to the world when the heavens drip down dew and rain. So my lesson will drip like rain is basically, according to Rashi and quotes from Sifri from the Medrash, that it means that it's a reference to Torah, my lesson. What's Moses' lesson? The Torah that, that Moses taught us. So my lesson, the Torah will drip like rain. Just like rain provides life, Torah provides life as well. So that's the, that's the connection. Um, let me just quickly... Okay. Um, mm, 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 mm. Here we go. Storm winds. Moses said his words will flow like dew, like storm winds on vegetation. Storm winds on vegetation. What does that mean? Rashi explains. Um, uh, uh, the metaphors explain as follows. Here, second half of Rashi. Just as these stormy, rainy winds maintain the plants and promote their growth. Listen, I'm not a farmer. I don't even have a garden. So, but apparently stormy, rainy winds help plants and promote their growth. So too, the words of the Torah cause those who study them to grow. That's a beautiful thing, right? Hence the, uh, the allegory of storm winds. What's the storm winds? I, don't, I thought they would be negative. Storm winds sounds like a little dangerous. But apparently, rainy storm winds are good for vegetation. Great. Torah is like that as well. It promotes growth. Like raindrops. Okay, let's skip that one. That's more of it. Yeah. It makes them stronger. Makes them stronger, yeah. Makes yeah. them stronger, promoting growth. Perfect. Yeah. Um, vegetation... We have some old French here. Okay, let's skip those. A lot of the, a lot of this is uh, grammatical and etymological, which I, I, I want to look more for the the conceptual stuff here. Um, ba -ba -da -ba -dum. Okay, here we go. Uh, Moses says, "When I call out the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to God." What does that mean? Uh, 
Rashi says. Let's again skip the first few lines. When I call out and make mention of the Lord's name, you shall ascribe greatness to our God and bless his name. From here, our rabbis derive the rule that the listener should respond, um, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. One second. Oh, Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto. Ah, Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto. Beautiful. After every blessing recited in the temple instead of Amen, which is the response outside the temple. So in the temple, you know in the Shema? Yeah, you know in the Shema prayer, you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkein Shavakat, and then you say Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto, Lo Olam Va'ed. So in the temple, they used to say that Baruch Shem line, that line, after the blessings. We say now, we say Amen. We only do that line after the Shema, the opening line of the Shema. But in the temple, they used to say that Baruch Shem line. That's according to Rashi, based on the Talmud, Tainet 16b, and that's what Moses is referring to. When I call out the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to God in the temple, uh, this should be done in the temple, ascribing greatness means reciting this line, Baruch Shem, blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. Okay, let's continue with Rashi. Rashi helps explain this very poetic opening, really the whole Torah portion is poetic. Um, Okay, the deeds of the mighty rock are perfect. What does that mean? Rashi explains right here. Even though God is strong like a rock, when he brings retribution upon those who transgress his will, he does not bring it in a flood of anger, but rather with justice because his deeds are perfect. Aha. So what it means is the deeds of the mighty rock are perfect. Although he's a mighty rock, no reason to be frightened because his deeds are perfect, which means he acts with righteousness and and the justice. Okay, a faithful God. He is a faithful God. What does that mean? Faithful to reward the righteous their due in the world to come. And even though he defers their reward, in the end he will fulfill his words. And this soothes the aching heart and the aching soul who sometimes feels like so many good people that live very difficult lives. So why is it that you have a righteous person, a good person, a person who tries to do their best, and yet... They don't, they're not successful, or they have a difficult life, or they have challenges, you know, whatever type of challenges. So Moses is saying that God is faithful. Faithful meaning there will be a reward. Maybe we don't see it in this world, in this lifetime, in other words, when the soul is in a body, but it will, the reward will happen. Let's continue without injustice, even to the wicked. Moses is saying, God rewards them in this world for any meritorious deeds they may have performed. God does not withhold the reward even for those that are overall not so, not so holy. Why? Because the good is the good. You don't wipe away the good because of the bad. There's good that needs to be rewarded and the bad, okay, that will, that will, that will also be dealt with. Okay, he is righteous and upright, Rashi says, all acknowledge God's judgment meted out to them to be just, tzaddik, and therefore fitting and upright yashar for them. That is, God is declared just by people and he is upright and is fitting to declare God is righteous. That's something that we may not see in this world, but in the world to come, we will certainly recognize how everything makes sense. Okay, destruction is not his, but rather it is, it is uh, his children's defect. Okay. Let's see Rashi here, um, his children's defect. They were God's children, and the destruction they wrought is their blemish. Um, the destruction was his children's blemish, not his blemish. Okay. Okay, nope, skipping that. It's more of language uh, analysis. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Okay, is this how you repay the Lord? Um, this should be read as a question, says Rashi, why are you doing such saddening things before God? He has the power to punish you. Nevertheless, he has bestowed all these favors upon you. Is this the way you repay him for those favors? In other words, God could do anything. And God is still giving you blessings, even though it's, you're not 100% you know, where, where you need to be. So you're going to go and, and double down in the negative? It makes no sense. Don't be a disgraceful people who has forgotten all that has been done for them. Unwise, not understanding the outcome, since it is God's power to do them good or evil according to their actions. So disgraceful means forgetting the past, and unwise means not being able to see the future. Disgraceful means 
Not being grateful. I said disgraceful really means ungrateful. It means not being grateful for other blessings. It's like somebody took you out of Egypt. Somebody split the sea for you. Somebody gave you the Torah. Somebody's been carrying you through the desert for 40 years. And what? You're going to say, see you later. I'm out. Nice, nice knowing you. It's not nice. That's disgraceful. And it's also not wise to turn away from God because you know what God can do? <laughs> right? So there's the past and the future. Either way, it doesn't make sense to just, you know, cut ties and, uh, and move on. It doesn't make sense. Um, let's see if there is... All right. Done. We're good. Let's continue with reading number two. Basically, Moses is preemptively saying, don't mess up. Don't mess this up. But he's speaking to them almost as if they had already messed up and saying, like, why did you mess up? Because he's speaking in a bit of a prophetic way to that future generation that will have gone astray and is, or maybe thinking that they would. And Moses saying, tough love, as Donna said, don't do it. It's unwise. It's disgraceful. It's etc. Let's continue reading two for today. Same chapter, 32, verse number seven. Zachar yemot olam. Remember the days of old. Reflect upon the years of other generations. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will inform you. That means like ask your elders. Ask your father, ask your elders. When the Most High gave nations their lot. So let me just explain what he's doing. Moses is saying, if you want to stay connected, if you want to stay in a good place, reflect on history. Right? Just remember what things were like once upon a time. What are we thinking about specifically? Verse 8. When the Most High, that means God, gave nations their lot, when He separated the sons of man, he set up the boundaries of peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. So from the beginning, when God delineates the nations, trivia question, according to Jewish thought, how many nations in the world are there? What's the number of the nations? Who knows? 70. 70. And why 70? According to the number, when he set up the boundaries of peoples, he did it according to the number of the children of Israel. How many Jews went down to Egypt? How many, were, how many members were there of Jacob's core family at the time when they first started, when they first emigrated to Egypt? The number is, of course, 70. Exactly, 70. So this is what Moses is telling the people. Don't you realize how like everything's been orchestrated? That when God originally divided the nations, He divided them into 70, corresponding to 70 members of the children of Israel. And why, why, and why this? Verse 9, because the Lord's portion is His people Jacob, the lot of His inheritance. Something special about God's connection with the Jewish people. That it's, this, it's like the numbers work out. It's, it's, there's a special relationship, a unique relationship. He found them in a desert land. Egypt, I guess, or maybe after Egypt, and in a desolate, howling wasteland. He encompassed them and bestowed understanding upon them. He protected them as the pupil of his eye. I would imagine you probably protect the pupil of your eye, right? So he protected, God protected them. You know, he's speaking third person. It's like you speaking to the Jewish people. But protected them, the Jewish people, like his own, like the pupil of his eye. As an eagle awakens its nest, hovering over its fledglings, it spreads its wings, taking them and carrying them on its pinions. So the Lord guided them alone, and there was no alien deity with him. In other words, Moses is giving us a meditation, an opening meditation. Well, I mean, the opening was last, was the reading right before. But this meditation is, remember, remember the history. How 70 nations, 70 members of the Jewish people, slaves in Egypt, taken out, protected by God. And you really want to walk away from this? You really want to just say, God, I don't care anymore. I don't need you anymore. That's not, that's not kosher. It's not cool. Let's jump, jump into Rashi because, again, it's so poetic. 
And every line, every phrase has layers and layers of different commentary. Of course, we're just going to stick with Rashi here. Rashi, the primary commentary. But let's do this. Remember the days of old, Rashi says. Remember what God did to past generations who provoked him to anger. Right? That wasn't good. Don't, don't do that again. Don't, don't you do that now. Reflect upon the years of other generations, Rashi says. What does that mean? Reflect upon the generations of Enosh, whom God inundated with the waters of the ocean. That was the flood. And the generation, uh, sorry, no, 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 that was another generation, it looks like, waters of the ocean, okay? And the generation of the flood, whom God washed away. So this must have been another, another, um, hold on. Enosh was, Dar Enosh, Dar Enosh, um, was that the tower? Dar Haflaga was a tower. Times of Enosh. I don't know. Anyway, there was another issue with Enosh and his generation and the generation of the flood, Noah's generation. Okay, so remember, remember the past and the mistakes and the punishments and don't, and, and don't make the same mistake. Another explanation Rashi says is if you have not set your attention to the past, then reflect upon the years of generations to recognize the future, that he has the power to bestow good upon you and to give you as an inheritance the days of the Messiah and the world to come. Look at that. That's a positive forward thinking. Reflect upon the years of other generations could either mean the past, re reflect upon the negativity, the punishment of the past, or recognize the promise of the future and thus align your behavior today with your vision for the future. Either way, it means... Stay away from the negative and do the positive. Ask your father. This is a reference to the prophets. Ask your elders. This is a reference to the sages. And they will inform you the events of the past, the former times. Okay. Um, when, and what's the, what are we thinking about? When the Most High gave nations their lot. When the Holy One, blessed be, he gave those who provoked him to anger their portion. He flooded them and drowned them. That was your lot. Okay. That's a different bit of a different explanation than what you would get from just reading it, but when he gave nations their lot, doesn't mean when, you know, the world was created, it means when they got their punishment, like the flood. When he separated the sons of man, this is referring to the Tower of, of Babel, when God scattered the generation of the dispersion which built the Tower of Babel, he had the power to remove them from the world altogether, but he did not do so. Rather, he set up the boundaries of the people, he let them remain in existence, did not destroy them, but he divided them into different nations. They were united in their opposition of God, and God divides them and establishes them into 70 nations. So according to the number of the children of Israel, God let man remain in existence for the sake of a small number of the children of Israel who were destined to descend from the children of shame. And for the sake of the number of the of for the sake of the number of the 70 souls of the children of Israel who went down to Egypt, he set up the boundaries of people, he separated man into 70 nations with 70 languages. That's that's what I explained before. Okay, because the Lord's portion is is his people is his people Jacob, the lot of his inheritance. And why did God go through all this effort to save mankind, Rashi asks rhetorically. Because the Lord's portion was hidden within them. Mankind was destined, uh, i.e. mankind, that was destined to come forth. And who is God's portion? His people, and who is his people? Jacob, the lot of his inheritance. And he is the third among the patriarchs. Okay. Like a threefold rope. Jacob has uh, three strands of merit. He is endowed with a threefold parcel of merits, the merit of his grandfather Abraham, the merit of his father Isaac, and his own merit, thus totaling three, like a rope composed of three strands twined together for added strength. Thus it was only Jacob and his sons who became God's inheritance, not Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and not Esau, the son of Isaac, essentially establishing or reestablishing or reaffirming the Jewish, the Jewish path, the Jewish lineage, through Abraham, Isaac, and then subsequently Jacob. All right, he found them in a desert land. What does that mean? Here we go, Rashi. God found them, Jacob's sons, faithful to him in a desert land. When? For they accepted his Torah. So that's referring to after the Exodus, when they were in the Sinai Desert. God found them in the desert. Do you want this? Yes. Um, they accepted his Torah, his sovereignty, and his, and his yoke upon themselves, something that Ishmael and Esau did not do. As Scripture states, the Lord shone forth from Seir to them and appeared from Mount Paran. 
The sages explain this to mean, and this is something that you and I have talked about many times, but let's see this black and white right here. God first went to the children of Esau and offered them the Torah, but they refused to accept it. And then he went and offered it to the children of Ishmael, and they also refused um, see Rashi on that verse in Deuteronomy, in, in another place in Deuteronomy. The point is that Torah was offered to others and others turned it down. It was more than two nations. It was a bunch of nations. Everyone said, no, not interested. But the Jewish people said, yes. In fact, when God offered the tablets, we said, you know what? If they're free, we'll take two. That was a joke. Sorry. Anyway, well, we, we did get two tablets. We did get the Torah with 613 mitzvot. God found us in a desert land, and we said, yes, God was offering. We're the only ones that took him up in the offer. And in a desolate, howling wasteland, an arid, desolate place, a land, a place of howling jackals and ostriches. Yet even there, Israel followed their faith. They did not say to Moses, how can we go out to the deserts to a place of drought and desolation? Okay, fine. In other words, let me just explain what this is. This is speaking to the... Um, this is speaking favorably of the Jewish people, that even though the desert is a dangerous place physically, the Jewish people did not hesitate to follow God into, well, I mean, there was fetching, and there was a lot of, and there was like, let's go back, some people said. But by and large, we moved forward and we followed God, even though you can't live in a desert. It's not a place, no plumbing, <laughs> no heating, no cooling, no AC, right? No, uh, no sushi, nothing. You're in a desert. And yet, we followed. Why? Because we were in love. That's what you do when you're in love. It's like, yeah, first apartment. Very simple. Yeah. Who needs an apartment? We have an RV. Who needs an RV? We'll go camping. Let's continue. Ari. Yes. I've got something interesting. This is, I guess, uh, with the Rashi, whatever. Yeah. Uh, where the Torah says, for Hashem's share is his people... Jacob, the portion of his possession. Uh, Rashi says Jacob, the portion, is his literally, literally rope. Yes. Of his yes. He, he's a third of the patriarchs who was tripled with three merits. Yes. A merit of his father's father, Abraham. A right. A merit of his father, Isaac, and his own merit. There you have three, like this rope, which is made of three strands. Right. And it is Jacob and his sons who became his possessions. And not Ishmael, not uh, right. the son of Abraham, nor Esau. Yes. I, I, interesting, I've never heard Jacob, uh, I guess, that being a, as a rope. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What, you think um, Muhammad Ali was the first one to do the rope-a-dope? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was Jacob. It was Yaakov. Yaakov was, Yaakov was on the ropes. Anyway, yeah. He was uh, twi um, intertwined of three, three strands, so to speak. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Um, we followed God even into the middle of nowhere. He encompassed them. God encompassed the Jewish people in the desert. In the desert, God encompassed Israel, surrounding them by, well, you guys know this already, protective clouds. He surrounded them with divisions in four directions and surrounded them with the underside of the mountain Sinai, which he overturned, suspending it over them like a tub. Okay, he bestowed understanding upon them. Their God bestowed upon them Torah and understanding, protected them from snakes, serpents, scorpions, and from hostile nations. As the pupil of his eye, as the pupil of his eye, Rashi says this refers to the black part of the eye from which the light is reflected outward. Okay, I wish I knew more about the anatomy of the eye. Nonetheless, if Rashi is selling, I'm buying. The black part of the eye, the light is reflected outwards. There we go. Now, Uncleus renders... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sir. Now, Uncle's renders Yim Tse'ehu as he provided their needs, that is, God provided Israel with all their needs in the desert. Uh, the use of the word Matzah, okay, fine. He encompassed them, he made them encamp round about his divine presence. Round about. Okay, the tent of meeting where the divine presence rested was in the middle of the camp. Yeah, we know this, right? The tent of meeting, the Mishkan was in the middle, and the four divisions, the tribal camp, surrounded it from all four directions, three on each side. All right, we got this. We got this. All this makes sense, I hope, right? All this makes sense. Um, he's based, God, Moses is essentially talking about it. You need a meditation to keep you on the straight and narrow. Think about all that God has done for you, right? You were in the middle of nowhere and, and, and vulnerable, and, and, and you believed, and God took care of you. You remember how much love we had back in the day? All right, and that should inspire us to stay on the right path. Final verse 
Actually, I'm sorry, two verses. We got, we got the eagle. As an eagle awakens its nest, what does that mean? God guided them, Israel, with mercy and compassion like an eagle, which is merciful toward its own fledglings and does not enter its nest suddenly. Look at that. The eagle knocks before entering. It's like, hey, guys, I don't want to wake up anybody, but, you know, let's... <laughs> the eagle. Again, I'm not a bird... What's the, what's the bird scientist? The... Something. Anyway, what, what is it? Oh, I don't know. Avian something. Yeah, yeah, right. Something. But apparently an eagle, huh? Ornithologist or is that bugs? I don't know. That's, I think, the eye doctor. No? Kidding. Ophthalmologist. So here's the deal. The, the eagle <laughs> is merciful towards its own young and it does not enter its nest suddenly, which is kind of cool for an eagle because eagles are pretty like, you know, they're strong birds, but they, they, they go into the family, the mishpacha, with, with gentleness. By the way, this is a good lesson in life. Do you know that it says in Jewish law that even in your own home, you should knock on the door before you come in? Did you know that? Legit. It says in, it says in the Code of Jewish law that even your own home, you should... I don't know if back in the day they had locks. I mean, I know of a lot of Israeli locksmiths, but I don't think that it's ancient Israeli locksmiths. I don't think it's like it was a thing that they had locked. You, you had a door and that's it. You hope for the best. But like, you're supposed to knock on your door. I don't know if, it, if today when there are locks and you know, people can hear. The point is, you're not supposed to surprise people. It's not, it's not a, you know, come in gently and come in, you know, like that. Come in not like a, like a tank. I don't know why I'm thinking tank, but come in like... Gentle. Yes, yes, yeah. Sandrine is correct. Sandrine is saying when you go visit the Rebbe's, uh, the Rebbe's uh, gravesite at the Ohel in the cemetery in, uh, in, in Queens, the tradition is that you actually knock on the door before you walk in to the resting place. Sign of respect. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't come flying in, hey, I have all these questions, and all, I mean, all these uh, prayer requests. That's not, you don't, you don't come flying in like that. I'm thinking like Kramer in, in Seinfeld, right? You don't come, hey, you know, like busting in the door. You, you come in gently, like the eagle, to its nest, apparently. Rather, oh, 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 hold on. What does the eagle do? We, have, we don't even need to know this because Rashi is telling us. Rather, the eagle beats and flaps its wings above its young between one tree and another, between one branch and another, in order so that its young should awaken and have the strength to receive it. That's the cutest thing ever. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love eagles now. Look at that. The big eagle, the mama eagle, or the papa eagle, if that's what they call them, they flap the wings and, and somehow that like gently wakens the thing. Somebody should tell, should tell it to my phone because my alarm in the morning, man, boom. There's no, there's no gentle wing flapping there. It's like boom. It's like loud and abrasive. Anyway, let's get back to the, to the conversation. So, yeah. Is there a relationship here between this and the uh, wings of eagles? I've taken you on wings of eagles, or like a wolf. yeah. Uh, Carried you like a, on the wings of eagles. Uh, this eagles? is it, I think. I think. No, before no. There's a, another area so where another place where it says that. Oh. Where they can go up and get bad energy. Is that what you're talking? About? Or like receive things. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Are you talking? Are you talking about the negative one or the positive one, Mark? No, in, no. In the Torah, someplace it says. Uh, I've taken you uh, like, as on wings of as on wings of eagles, something like that. Right. Okay. So that's a pause. Right. That's a positive. Sarah's mentioning there is a negative reference to eagles, like the eagle. We have that in Kabbalah and Kafu. The eagle soars up to get from the makif, the 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 place where um, righteousness doesn't matter. You just collect. so that's the negative reference. The eagle that soars up. Um, but you're referring to the one carrying you on the wings of angels. That might have been that might have been Moses telling the people also similar to this that God carried you on the wings like an eagle carries its young and da 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 and, and therefore I feel like it's similar to this. Maybe it's not this, but it's it's probably a similar context. But basically, I would say it shares the same message. Um, okay, hovering over its fledglings. More about, oh, awakens, okay, we have awakening its fledglings, hovering over its fledglings, more about the eagle. The eagle, this is more about eagles than you thought you would learn today. You see that? 
You never know what you're going to get in DPP. The eagle does not impose its whole body upon them. Rather, it hovers above them, touching them, and yet not, and yet not quite touching them. Nogea ve'eno nogea. It touches them, but not exactly. So too is the Holy One, blessed be He. As in the verse, it's a gentle touch. As, as in the verse, we did not find the Almighty great in power. When he came to give the Torah to Israel, he did not reveal himself to them from one direction, thus concentrating his power at one point, as it were, but rather from four directions. As Scripture states, the Lord came from Sinai and shone forth from Seir to them and appeared on Mount Paran. This accounts for three directions. The fourth is referred to in the verse, God comes from Teman, which is another direction. So, essentially, it came from all directions, not concentrated. I think, okay, here's my take on what Rashi means with these different directions. I think it's about the force you know, when something comes from one direction, not the band, when something comes from one direction, it might be a little bit more intense as opposed to kind of being immersed in this experience. So Sane was an immersive experience, which I think is related to this gentleness that we're speaking of. Okay, spreading its wings, taking them. When, when it, the eagle, comes to move its fledglings from place to place, it does not pick them up with its feet, as do other birds, okay? Why? Because other birds are afraid of the eagle, which soars very high and flies above them. For this reason, the other bird carries them with its feet because the eagle is above them. So again, if you have another bird, so it carries the the young with its feet, talons, perhaps, if it's with its feet, maybe not talons, and then, so because the eagle's on top, so if the eagle dive bombs, it's gonna first hit the parent, the mama bird, and not the baby bird. But the eagle is different. The eagle, however, is afraid only of an arrow which comes from below. Therefore, it carries its young and its wings, saying it's better that an arrow pierce me rather than pierce my young. This eagle, ah, unbelievable. What a good parent this eagle is. So the eagle, so the other birds, because they're afraid of the eagle, the other birds carry the young below with the feet. But the the eagle carries the young, its youth, above because all it fears is no bird higher than it. All it fears is the arrow from, from below. And that's, uh, so it carries it on top to protect the young. Let's continue. So too, the Holy One, blessed be He, says, I carried you. Oh, here we go. Mark, you got it. Here's your verse. Boom. Boom. Here's literally. So too, God said, I carried you on eagle's wings. That's Exodus 19.4. I knew that. I totally... Anyway, this is the verse. (laughs) I.e., when the Egyptians pursued the children of Israel and overtook them at the Red Sea, they cast arrows and catapulted rocks at Israel. Immediately, the angel of God moved behind them, and a pillar of cloud came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel for Israel's protection. Basically, the eagle gets in the way, in a good way, gets in between the danger and the young and 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 it's and it's it's babies so the same thing is true with god god put himself his angel his cloud whatever you want to call it god put himself between the the invading between the advancing egyptian army and the jewish people providing a buffer for the jews by the splitting of the sea okay let's continue so, well, here we go. So the Lord guided them alone, and there was no alien deity with him. By the way, this is a proof for no UFOs. No alien... Oh, I'm sorry, no alien deity. I'm sorry, I misread that. That was a joke, by the way, guys. Yes? You know, there's a, you know, you know that whole study that was released recently about UFOs? The government, the Air Force... You guys don't know about this? Like the, no, it's not a joke. I mean, half the time it is, but this time it's serious. This time, legit. No, um, the military apparently over the years has had strange sightings of, of, of craft, aircraft that move at rapid speeds. You guys at all, no one's reading about this? No one saw this? No? Mark, yes? Huh? Yeah, someplace, yeah, I read that. The yeah. government did a report, and it just came out like a month or two ago. And the report said there's nothing confirmed that there's life from other planets that have tried to contact us. But there are still things that are a mystery. We don't know what it is. That's it. That's the conclusion. Anyway, I only mention that because the word alien always strikes me as being a very foreign word. That was a joke also, alien. 
But uh, the point is, there's no, only God, Moses tells the people, God guided them. You alone, nothing else. Here we go, Rashi. The word in Hebrew, Imo? Nechar. Alien, Nechar. Nechar, yeah. They, so I'll just I'll read just to translate the word for word. Hashem, Badad, alone, Yanchenu, guided them. Ve'ain and no, Imo, no one with him. Kel, God, no other God with, sorry. Ve'ain, Imo, Kel, and there was not with him a God. Nechar, otherwise, or foreign or alien. So Nechar is the, is the, is the alien. Um, okay. Here we go. So the, so the Lord guided them alone. Rashi says, God guided them safely and alone in the desert, and there was no alien deity with him. Not one of the deities of the nations, in other words, the other nations, had the power to display its might and to wage war with them, with Israel. Okay. Now, one second. Now Rashi gives us a bit of a different take. Okay, so let's pause here. Let's regroup for a second before we do the blue. I highlighted in blue before we do the blue. Let's regroup, and then we're going to jump into that in a second. So what do we have so far? And we're not going further, right? This is the first two readings. This is today's, today's, um, today's study. Um, so we have Hazinu. It's written clearly in very poetic language. The language itself is poetic, but even more than poetry... Right, it's allegory. It's um, it's it's an it's it's not a literal. My words drip like dew. He's not really saying that his words are dew. What he's saying is, you know, like dew that revives, that this whatever whatever dew does, or like rain. Yerav Kamatarno, like my words drip like rain. I'm sorry, not even like dew, like rain. Just like rain makes things grow, so too this Torah provides growth. It's it's allegory. So we have so far this idea that. Moses speaking to the people, look at the past, look at the future, right? This is what God has done for you. How could you turn away from God? That sort of thing. Now, let's take a look at something else. Our rabbis, however, let's continue Rashi. Our rabbis, however, explain this whole verse as referring to the future. I.e., so the Lord will guide them. The Lord will guide them. Uncleus renders this verse likewise. But I say, that these are words of reproof. Moses called upon heaven and earth as witnesses. And this song, i.e., Parashat Hazinu, this Torah portion, would also be a witness. That eventually Israel would betray God. And they would neither remember what God did for them in the past generations, nor would they bear in mind what He is destined to do to them. In other words, they'll have amnesia of the past and forget about the beautiful promise of the future. Hence, this verse should be understood. It's kind of like a relationship. Imagine someone betrays their loved one in a relationship. And it's like, don't you remember? What I've done for you, what we've done together. Don't you know what we could be if we were faithful to each other? And you did this. That's what Moses said, right? Hence, this verse should be understood to refer to both the past and the future. So Rashi tweaks it a little bit, right? Some of the sages, some of the commentators explain that the whole verse is referring to the future. That was up there. Rashi says, no, I disagree. The verse is referring to the past and the future, right? Remember the past and remember, think about what could be in the future. Um, and therefore, this whole passage is apropos of the phrase, remember the days of old, reflect upon the years of other generations, verse 7. Thus God did for them, and thus will He do for them in the future. The passage is admonishing Israel, they should have remembered all this. Remembered all this. What does it mean, remember all this? Not only what happened, but also remember what will happen, or what should have happened, or what could have happened, had you not messed up. That's what Moses is saying. And look, we've been learning together. We've done a lot of learning together. You know, we've, we've studied a lot of Torah. All of us, right here, in this space. And we went through the whole, we've gone through the whole book of Deuteronomy from the beginning till now, together. And you know that the, the consistent theme in this book has been from the beginning, from the, from the opening of the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses begins speaking to the people, it's been the same theme. Yes, there's new mitzvahs and new ideas. And, you know, when you go into the land, don't forget, sabbatical. There's a lot of, yes, sure, there's a lot of mitzvahs, mitzvot. But the consistent theme that he speaks heart to heart to the people is, remember the past, right? Remember what God has done. 
remember your mission, remember what the promise is, remember what you're supposed to, know who you are, don't drop the ball. That's the point. So Hazinu is more of the same in a poetic, allegorical, you know, language, and maybe a little bit with tough love, a little bit with tough love. Kind of saying, you know, you'll look back one day and say, we had it all, and we let it drop. We, we dropped the ball. We had it. We had it. We had the blessings. We were enjoying blessings. We had a promise of future blessings. And we let it slip through our fingers. But don't worry. There's a chance to pick the ball back up. No, it's, not, it's, not, it's not too late. But the point is... So it's kind of like overcoming folly, like the Sunday morning classes. Instead of doing something and then looking back and saying, oh, what did I do? Can we, do we have the ability to stop ourselves before we do that and not get to that place of regret? It's not easy, but that's, that's the goal over here. All right, so this concludes readings one and two. And I think, you know, one theme that I thought about that I haven't mentioned today is, you know, remember the days of old, reflect upon the years of other generations. It's kind of like those who do not remember the past are, well, that's kind of like the mistakes of the past are destined to repeat it. It's kind of like that, but it's even more than that. Remember not only the bad things in the past, not only like the mess-ups to not do that again, but also remember the blessings of the past, the, the blessings of the past. Remember the blessings of, hey, Olya, how's it going? Good to see you. Remember the, the blessings. Remember the good times. Remember the, the love that God has shown you. And... And know that there's more of that good stuff where it came from. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's not derail the plans. Okay. Look, this, this was the message for the people that were about to begin their journey without him. They were going to enter the land without Moses, with Joshua and God, but without Moses. This was, this was the call. And as Rashi just said, Moses calls upon heaven and earth as witnesses, but you know what else is a witness? This Torah portion, Hazinu, because it's right there in black and white. It lays it out. Just don't, don't mess up. Don't drop the ball. Like, don't, don't mess up. That's a mantra. That's an inspiring mantra, right? Don't mess up. But it's really about remembering the love, remembering the protection. Be like an eagle. Not be like an eagle. God treated us, treats us like an eagle, gently, with courage, with strength sensitivity. So let's, uh, let's keep our end of the deal going. So that's it for today. Um, the story continues, of course, tomorrow, and then Friday will continue after that, and we'll have the whole arc, you know, the good times, the difficult times, and, the, and ultimately the good times. All right, questions or comments before we close out? What do you guys got? Uh, I don't remember. Is that like a special tune? Do we sing the, the, the song? It's not sung. No, it's not sung in a special tune. The song at the sea, the Az Yashir, mm -hmm. in Bishalach, in, in 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 the Book of Exodus, that's also written in an interesting way. That is yeah. sung. That is sung with a different tune. Mm -hmm. Slightly. Um, but no, Hazinu is sung with the regular, regular trap, regular um, Torah reading. I'm going to see if I can pull up a picture. One second, Hazinu. Um, here we go. <coughs> Hold on, let me see if I can find a big picture. Um, open image in new tab. Let's see if that works. Bam, ba -dam. Here we go. Take a look. You guys see that? Yeah. Hazino? So typically the columns of the Torah are that top, see that top block of text? It's typically yeah. that width and it goes straight down and it's column after column after column. You know, there's white space in between, but it's called, you know, like wider columns. Hazinu is divided with, uh, with an aisle in the middle, right? Almost looks like a wedding, right? You have the 
<laughs> you have the, um, the aisle, you have the chuppah, platform stage. Anyway, but you read it, you read it, sorry? That was my question. Do you go like... You go across. Line yeah. Through the line or through the column? No, you go across. So this would be... Hold on. It's and it's almost it's very poetic because this, the the half the, the sections of the verse are pretty much like what first half second half it like kind of ends on each line you know what I mean it doesn't like go over to the next line it's pretty much like line by line by line by line straight across anyway very very interesting I don't know if you notice this but can you see some words have longer letters like over here see that long letter is it too small. Can I make it bigger? Hold on, let me see if I can make this bigger. I can see it. Yep, yep, yep. It looks like they're making it the block, like extending the font so it makes it clean. It's block. exactly what it's doing. It's extending. That's a power T. I didn't realize Moses was a fan of Tennessee. Well, so this I don't know, but if you look over here, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, what is this? Chemas Baka Bechalav Tzayin Em Chalav. Parim, Parim, I think Parim. But look at that long resh. See how long that resh is right there? That's a yeah. really long resh. And you do that so that you have, you know, like the justification, the, the text justification of the, of the columns. You also have that over here, a long resh, a long resh over there, a long resh over there, long dalits, badad, two long dalits. So certain letters, the scribes will, um, you know, there's a tradition of how to write this. So... They use those letters, the ones that have like a thing at the top, because you can you can extend it without messing up the form of the letter. You can't do that with an aleph. It's just not going to be an aleph anymore. It's just going to look weird. So um, yeah, but it's it's to it's to get it nice and nice and clean here with the writing. And look, is it is it perfect? No, I'm looking at a little bit of you know a little a little waviness over here, but it's pretty good, pretty solid job here. Looks like, um, I can't tell if the scan is crooked or if the line just kind of like starts drooping in here at the bottom. You notice that? It's kind of taking like a left, little left hook yeah. over there. So again, I, I don't know if that's the Torah or if it's just the scan got warped or the picture, somebody took a picture and who knows the, the edging of the camera. You know, when you have a camera, you know, it could be the edging of the camera kind of like, you know, like uh, fish eyes it a little bit, whatever, who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a very, it's very uniquely done, this Torah portion. It's a song, it's poetry, it's, um, it's allegory, a lot of layers. And by the way, we're only studying Rashi. No, sorry, not to minimize that, we're studying Rashi on it, which is, which is essential. But there are hundreds and hundreds of commentaries on this, like classic commentaries with like worlds of meaning. Okay, so that's it for today. Tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. Don't forget, Wednesday, we're not going to be meeting because uh, it's Erev Yom Kippur, so much to do. And Thursday is also Erev Yom Kippur. I want to mention a few things, a few traditions uh, for Yom Kippur, kind of as we get ready for the holiday. So number one, I mentioned this last night. Uh, by the way, if you didn't join last night's class, highly recommended. Um, the audio and video, I think, should be posted by now. Uh, let's see. Thursday Yom Kippur, not Erev Yom Kippur. Sorry? What? Thursday Yom Kippur. Thursday, yeah. Wednesday, we're not having class because of Arab Yom Kippur, and Thursday, because it's Yom Kippur, yeah. So it looks right. like the audio and video should have been posted for um, the class last night. I would definitely recommend to check it out, and you can feel free to share it. Uh, and then, and then, wait, what do you say? The podcast is up or not up? It is up? Yes. Perfect. Yes. Good. That's how we like it. So, a few traditions. Number one, on, on Arab Yom Kippur, Wednesday, make sure that you have two meals. You have a meal in the afternoon, and then you have a meal closer to the evening before the fast starts. It's a mitzvah to have the meal during the day, a, big, a, a larger meal, and then you have what's called the sudat hamafseket, which is the meal that, you know, the, the last meal, the last supper, whatever, the last meal before the fast begins, and make sure to get that in before the time. And of course, there's a Chabad in town meal that you can join, check your local listings and the website for that.
The next thing is, I want to talk to you about the tradition of kaparot. You know kaparot? Kaparas, as they say, the Ashkenazim say. Yeah, you take a chicken, you wave it around your head. Okay, a live chicken. All right. You don't have to do it with a chicken. You do it with money or with a fish. The idea is that there's a, a tradition that we say some prayers and we acknowledge you know, the things that need to be corrected and we essentially give tzedakah. So you can, some people use a chicken and then give the chicken to charity, um, like for the needy, for food. And fish, the same thing, or money, and then give the money to tzedakah. So however you do it, you can find out more about it. You can just Google Chabad and Kaparos, like K-A-P-Kaparos, K-A-P-A-R-O-S. And I'm sure you can find all that you need to find on that. What else did I want to tell you? I think that might be it for right now. Okay. That's it. That's it for right now. More, more to come tomorrow. All right. It's good to see everybody. Want to wish you all a wonderful day. Donna. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Donna, Sandrine, Sarah, Olia, welcome back. Yes. Great to see you. Thank you. Hey. And Mark, it's great to see you guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys soon. Pleasure, pleasure. Take care.